Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your resource for Karate Kid and Cobra Kai recaps, reviews, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm Colin Canaday. I am Jenny Carlson, and we are thrilled to be with you today. Yes, we are, because we're back. <laughs> we are back. We, we have been out of commission, or at least out of... Communication. Out of communication for some time now. Yes, because of a whole global thing that's happening. Thing. I don't want to, you know. Is it a solar flare? It Well, no, I'm just saying if this thing that's happening is, is stressing you out, I'm oh, not no. going yeah, to give it power thing. by giving it a name. Let's just say a thing that is happening. We're all in a situation together. Yes. Apart. And we're fine. We are also fine. We are, well, physically fine. We're I think physically fine. A gauntlet. We're doing okay. Our families, as far as we know, knock on wood, are healthy. Uh-huh. Knock on wood. Um, and we hope you're fine. We hope you're at least hanging in there. Um, some days it feels like that. If you're not fine, we wish you healing and we understand that this is yeah. man. <laughs> well, also, I mean, look, we'll, we're trying to do our part in our community. And part of that is getting this podcast up and running again. Cause if this does bring you any sort of joy, we hope we can, uh, we can continue that joy. That is true. We, you know, it's funny because during this time with all of us, well, many of us in our homes, it is. It seemed like we would have more time to produce stuff, but in fact, we've had less time. Yeah, that is the weird paradoxical thing, is when this whole situation started, I was like, oh, I'll have so much more time to podcast and do personal projects. And yes, we have been doing some of that. Like, I've been updating our software. Like, we're now off of Audacity, that buggy piece of software and on to reaper which is very cool so that's nice yeah i was very confused as to why colin was taking such a long time to edit this episode that you're about to hear and then i found out it was because one of his ambitions during this situation was to migrate our software which i think you will be happy with the results yeah i mean you might hear a glitch or two it might sound better to you that's purely up to you now going forward i can turn around episodes a little faster we changed the way we record we changed the location where we record we're now in this actual studio area of my office yes so yeah a lot of a lot of behind the scenes stuff has been happening the back end uh, the back end but now we're here to come back to you and share some actual timely Cobra Kai stuff. The stars have finally aligned. Yeah, that's the other situation that happened. Uh, the unprecedented thing that happened, which is that the expected YouTube premiere of Cobra Kai Season 3 came and went without happening. Yes. Right? And frankly, one of the strangest entertainment stories of this whole situation that no one's talking about is the fact that Season three is completely shot, wrapped, produced. No pickups that we know of. And they didn't have a and they didn't have a home. No, they had they were as as our listeners likely know, they were ready to roll but with no rollout. And I think they knew as they were wrapping that that was the case. Very likely. Um so but we'll get to that in a second. Um, so we have been all been waiting and I think our last episode we talked about this wait. We talked about the wait when we did the uh the live stream with Peter and Brianna. Here we are finally on the 36th anniversary of the release of The Karate Kid. We come to learn that indeed as I called at least privately, Cobra Kai is moving to Netflix Ooh. after an intense bidding war. 
After an intense behind-the-scenes negotiation, let's assume, yes. Sony has decided to move Cobra Kai to where it probably belonged in the first place, which is Netflix, uh, to where it will have a home alongside Stranger Things and Orange is the New Black and Money Heist and... Money Heist. Yes. Yes. Um, and all the other great shows uh, on Netflix. It'll make it easier for new people to find the show. It'll be make it easier for us to watch the show without having to shell out extra for YouTube Premium. Yeah, it's a win for everybody. And you know they let the news drop on the on the anniversary day. And over at Cobra Kai Companion, Peter and Brianna had a wonderful interview with the Big Three and Ralph and Billy. One of the great things that came out of that was hearing how peaceable their exit from YouTube has been. It was just a question of YouTube yeah. discontinuing this side of their content production. Well, exactly. I think it was kind of, in a weird way, the biggest little secret that was out there, which is that YouTube was exiting original programming yeah. altogether. Like, if you had checked their original programming page over the last year or two, you would see the number of products dwindling and you'd be like oh that's weird and then we're now on to netflix um and so soon we will be getting a trailer and a and a release date and that's true we still don't have an actual release date for season three yeah. so i mean from our show's perspective we'll still be trying to come up with content to fill the gaps in the meantime but it will happen eventually, probably, I don't know. I think within the next two months. Given what we have in the works, I mean, hopefully now that this software situation is straightened out, our pace will get back to somewhat regular, and we will then get our episodes for season two wrapped and dropped by the time that premiere happens. I think that's a safe bet. I think we'll definitely be done with our part by the time we're ready to start season three as far as when that could actually happen there's still a lot of question marks in the air and that is probably the other weird story is that yeah netflix has confirmed they've picked it up and the producers have confirmed that they've been picked up by netflix but no one has committed to a trailer or a season drop date yet because again because of the whole global situation, situation Here's the other thing. It's like I was listening to another entertainment podcast in the interim, and they were talking about how, like, Hollywood estimates they only have, like, four months of content remaining uh, before they're just dry. Um, this is table reads on Zoom from here on out. Yeah, exactly. And that was about a month ago. So now they're probably down to three or less. And there are a lot of big entertainment products that are either postponed indefinitely or we're about we're going to premiere and now they don't know. Like like the the Wonder Woman movie, the new Chris Nolan movie, a lot of big content. Some studios don't want to risk the perception of quote unquote cheapening it by dropping it you know, on digital when they could have released it in the theaters and gotten that theater money. But then again, nobody's going to the theaters. Yeah, so what is the point? Yeah, it's going to be a while until my personal situation makes uh -huh. it possible to go to a theater. Right, exactly. I mean... Our situation. Going, going situation back to Cobra Kai, they don't necessarily have that problem. But then there's this discussion of, is it wiser to drop it sooner while everybody's still kind of quarantined at home exactly. or is it wiser to hold it until like do they want to do like a big media buildup and how is that possible in this current 
situation. Like, there's a lot of... Can you even travel to Okinawa in such a situation? Exactly. There's a lot of question marks still hanging in the air over the fate of Cobra Kai. We know it has a home. We just now need to know when they're going to open the doors for us. That's right. Wow. But the good news is we still have content to do. do. So why don't we go ahead and throw it over to today's episode? Yes, today we have a recap and analysis of Cobra Kai Season 2, Episode 8. The Glory of of Love. Love. So we open at the Reseda Flats apartments, or so it seems, with Johnny going out of his apartment and walking across to the place where Miguel lives. That's right. Uh, Johnny knocks on Miguel's door, and lo and behold, it's Carmen that answers because Carmen's Miguel's mom. Yeah, and she's like, I'll go get Miguel, and Johnny's like, I'm not here for Miguel. No, he certainly is not. In fact, I think by this time, once Here We Go Again cues in, uh, we are in on the joke which is this is not Johnny's real apartment or Miguel's real apartment this is the Johnny fantasy apartment the reason we know this is Johnny's fantasy apartment is because he instantly walks over and begins kissing Carmen as all the lights change and now suddenly she's dressed in an oversized shredded sweatshirt well specifically she's dressed like Lisa from Weird Science oh yeah good call yeah I see you big three yeah get where you're putting down this is a rockin 80s dream sequence with star wipes Yes, yeah, this is, (laughs) they've really gone the full Monty on this fantasy sequence, shooting it very 80s video style, uh, complete with like sexy karate sparring. Karate foreplay. We know it worked for the LaRusso family, so why not Johnny? We also have them drinking beer held from above and all kinds of crazy stuff. It looks a lot like that dream sequence in The Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what can so there's no Saddam Hussein in this yeah. one. What does it say that about Johnny that he wants to spar with Carmen in his dream, like sexy, like? Well, it says that that's all he, the man has in the brain is like 80s culture and karate and Coors Banquet, which she also had in the dream sequence. Well, of course. I just imagine the set that day and how mm. sex scenes are awkward, but that was silly. And so it, it, it wasn't like sex proper, but it was definitely sexy time. And how I'm wondering if they just died laughing while shooting that. Regardless, Johnny definitely brought the sexy back with that uh, dream sequence. And he wakes up and the next thing we see is the title card where he is happily dreaming in his apartment. But you know who's not happily dreaming is Daniel across town. He's couch surfing right now at his own house. (laughs) Over at the LaRusso Mance. Daniel is couch surfing when, lo and behold, here comes Lucille. He says something about having a fever when she's telling him she's made him breakfast. She, of course, knows that he's actually in the doghouse with Amanda. But another reason why this scene is awesome is because it has an Easter egg where uh, Lucille talks about how she's got Minute Maid. This is, of course, a reference to young Ralph Macchio having to hold a Minute Maid carton in just a certain way for product placement and resenting it. Now... As an older and wiser man, Ralph Macchio is down with drinking Minute Maid as Daniel LaRusso. That's right. Product placement's back on the menu, boys. 
Meanwhile, over at Miyagi-Do, Sam and Robbie are in their own make-out session. But this is no fantasy, my friend. This is reality. They're making out when they're supposed to be doing warm-ups. Sam wants to tell her parents about this development, but the company line from her is that she doesn't want to tell her folks because they're in the middle of a fight. And yeah. that would just be too inconvenient. Yeah, it's a public secret of the LaRusso house that Daniel and Amanda are not getting along. So Sam and Robbie will continue to nurture their forbidden love. But they overhear Dimitri saying, Look what I found! And lo and behold, Dimitri has found Mr. Miyagi's Medal of Honor. It was just sitting in these rocks. We know from the previous episode, Robbie must have low-key planted in the garden for his fellow Miyagi-Dos to have found it. Rather than reveal that Miguel was a nice guy who brought it back, he just decided to act like it had been there the whole time. And of course, we have a sense that this will not go well in the end. Now, in his waking hours, Johnny is walking over to Carmen and Miguel's house and preparing to knock on the door when Carmen walks up with a guy who is either from Australia or the Antipodes or somewhere else that the British Empire colonized. His name is Graham. Graham, the guy with the overly performative British accent. Pleased to meet you, mate. Very smarmy, too. He tells Johnny he has a... Oh, racking strong grip. And he's busy canoodling with Carmen, which does not sit well with Johnny. Isn't he funny? There's something about him, like, you just get the sense that he might actually be from Planet Asshole. So now we cut to LaRusso Auto, and Amanda walks in to find that there's sushi all over her desk. and looks like chocolates as well. And Daniel comes in very confident that he has sucked up to her because he ordered lunch from Sugarfish and matcha green tea as well from Earth Cafe. He's trying to pretend like he can't imagine where it's from. Amanda's not impressed. Well, he also announced that he did all Amanda's car homework uh, for the dealership as well. Amanda, still not impressed, insists that she has real work to do. Yeah, she actually has a team lunch over at another location, which Daniel would know if he'd actually looked at their shared calendar, because that's how it is for couples in the aughts. That's right. You got to look at that joint calendar, my man. Meanwhile, over at the Cobra Kai Dojo, Miguel and Tori are also having a debriefing, talking about hanging out at the place where she works, which is a skating rink that's having an 80s night. Conveniently, everyone in this universe loves the 80s. That's right. There was really no time between the 80s and now in this world. Everyone went to sleep in a Fallout-style time capsule. What year is it? Uh, it was brand new. No. What year is it? And everybody loves the 80s. Meanwhile, Hawk comes into the dojo, and Miguel is concerned about their relationship after the Coyote Creek incident of last week. Hawk is like, don't worry about it. You know, we were enemies for a day. Cobra Kai is for life. Speaking of Cobra Kai being for life, cut to Johnny in the office looking at all of John Kreese's paraphernalia and namely his special ops photo that had been hanging on the wall. Yeah, Johnny tosses the special forces picture. Clearly did not bring him joy. And when he goes out into the dojo to teach the Cobras, the Cobras instantly pick up on the fact that Kreese is mysteriously absent. Where's Sensei Kreese? Exactly. Stingray is keen to wait for what he calls the Sensei Emeritus before getting going, but Johnny's not having it. He explains, Mr. Kreese will no longer be joining us. Johnny basically has a little TED talk about how his Cobra Kai is different from Kreese's Cobra Kai. His Cobra Kai was old, but he no longer represents what this dojo stands for. Cobra Kai classic, if you will. Yeah, this is for some people I know one of the more moving scenes in season two of Cobra Kai. I find it just drenched in foreboding. I'm not as moved. Johnny explains, I made a promise when I became your sensei to always look out for your best interests. The stuff that Kreese is taught. This creed on the wall. Follow it to the letter. It'll make you strong. It can make you strong. No, it can make you an asshole. It'll make you formidable. It'll also make you an asshole. 
he insists that... But life's not black and white. More often than not, it's gray. And it's in those gray areas where Johnny Lawrence's Cobra Kai sometimes shows mercy. He said, this doesn't mean that you're not going to be badass, but... But you have to learn to think, not just with your gut, to really use this. We all know that Johnny is really about the ontology of badassery. And speaking of using your noggin, he's now going to teach headbutts. <laughs> Headbutting. <laughs> As a special treat, they're going to learn headbutting. Here's hoping the more disgruntled, pro-crease factions of Cobra Kai will find this recourse to violence a good outlet for their frustrations. And so we smoothly transition with Miguel back to the special ops room. Well, while there's a party in the front, the headbutting, there's serious goings-on around back. Miguel's trying to talk to Johnny about his falling out with Crease because he knows that Johnny's probably not doing okay about it, but Johnny's like... Besides, you should be focused on that girlfriend of yours. So Miguel's like... You know about that? I'm not blind. And this is one of the moments where we see the sort of father-son relationship between Johnny and Miguel thrown into relief. And Johnny's telling Miguel that he needs focus. Miguel, meanwhile, though, is still focused on Johnny saying, what about you? Is there anybody in your life? Like, what are you doing? And Miguel offers to set Johnny up with an app, the same app that Carmen used to find Graham, her smarmy boyfriend. Best take me in for x-rays. <laughs> Isn't he funny? Yeah. Miguel's really doing his best to be emotionally available to Johnny in that way that Miguel often tries to be. But Johnny is noticeably reticent. Don't worry about me, all right? I do just fine. I really like the fact here that Miguel is wise to the fact that something is not right with Johnny and he's not just completely pro-crease. Johnny is open to the app and we cut to the LaRusso Auto where now Daniel has ramped up his game trying to suck up to Amanda by having all of Miyagi-Do come out to wax on and wax off with the cars in the showroom. That's right. Why doesn't he just have them in the back trimming bonsai trees, I wonder? Bonsai tree. I know. He has decided to have Miyagi-Do wax on all the cars. Yes, and off. That's Well, I mean, I assume there's a wax off at some point. Um, but Amanda's still not having it. She insists that this is just... A Band-Aid. Um, she says it's like... You can put a Band-Aid on an open head wound. Yeah, to put it in the modern parlance, Amanda doesn't want a face mask for this problem. She wants the full vaccine. Well, why not both? Exactly. Topical. And then in this moment, we see Daniel looking stricken, right? This is one of the, the hallmarks of their relationship. For all their happy chemistry, no one can set Daniel down like Amanda can. What, a marriage is an open head wound? Pick whatever analogy you want. You know what I mean. Daniel, the penny has dropped. Daniel realizes he really has to have a reckoning if he's going to preserve his marriage. So now we're back at Receda Flats, not in the in a dream world, but at Johnny's apartment where Miguel is looking at Johnny's new smartphone. And Johnny is sitting there on the couch while Miguel interviews him about who he might want to date. To get there, they have to go through Johnny's likes, which, as established in the dream mostly, are karate, muscle cars, Iron Eagle, and Eagle Iron Eagle too. But Miguel's like, you have to take this seriously. Johnny explains. It used to be simple. Find a chick at a bar, bump into her, they buy her a beer. But Miguel insists that there's a little more subtlety, a little more gray area in the black and white world of dating. And he has some fashion advice for Johnny. Johnny's insights that cavemen did this at bars it's just another iteration of that tired evolutionary biology argument that it's always been this way between men and women. That's right. The only cavemen that ran into women at bars are the Geico cavemen. You remember when the bad guys kicked Karate Kid's ass? Cobra Kai. 
What? The bad guys are students of Cobra Kai. Point is, this right here is just like that, and I'm the Karate Kid. And now I have to go find a clip of the guy cocaine, man. That's true. I really dug my own hole for that one. You really did. Anyway, Miguel is now going to give Johnny fashion advice and heads off to check in the closet to see what he can do for Johnny. But it's a really a win-win situation for Miguel because not only can he raid Johnny's closet for some date clothes for Johnny, but he can also get some choice items for his own 80s cosplay date later. Meanwhile, Johnny finds a chick in his app and instantly decides, hey, this app thing isn't so bad after all. Much like Johnny earlier uh, trying to send it to the internet in his office, he instantly understands the value of the app proposition. Yeah, Johnny is like Sony boomers and elder Gen Xers who discovered that, hey, this technology thing that I thought was stupid 15 seconds ago has already worked its magic on me. Miguel has found something interesting in Johnny's closet, and now we cut to the LaRusso manse. Where where Sam and Robbie have found something interesting. (laughs) Each other inside the fridge, because there is no AC in California. Yes. Just men in chicken suits throwing eggs. Daniel's mom is still here. She's going to get the kids to help her unload the car. And it turns into a real case of Lucille Interruptus. Indeed. she comes in with the groceries. Oh, I didn't realize you were both here. I got a couple more bags in the car. Be a help, will you? When you don't have Joan Rivers along as Dot Matrix, you have to do what you can. What the hell was that noise? That was my virgin alarm. So cut to the bar where we see Johnny in a round robin of dates set up on his app. It's a good old-fashioned Cobra Kai montage, and we're going to go rapid fire through these dates. To see just how out of date Johnny is. And the ladies, for Johnny's taste, are either too nice. My oldest is eight, and I also have a four-year-old. Too smart. Yeah. You've never seen a smartwatch? Oh, smartwatch. Or just too much. We combat all institutions of oppression. Climate change, denial of the patriarchy. I hate the patriots, too. When Johnny's trying to talk to someone who's clearly hip to social issues and says, hey, baby, let's hop in my challenger in so many words, you know it's going badly. But we do get a nice fun cameo from the remodel lady, the lady from the pilot. You're that dumb asshole who hung my TV on the wrong wall. The one who claims that Johnny called her a bitch when he actually was using bitch as a verb, not a noun. I love that Johnny swiped right on the woman who offended him and got him fired from his old job. That's how little Johnny has computed who all these different people are. Well, it's ironic, right? Because free of context, this woman actually probably would be all right for Johnny. She's into leopard print and rock and roll, and she seems to be the fast type that Johnny craves. But sadly, he's already offended her. She comes (laughs) pre-offended. Meanwhile, back at the LaRusso manse... Daniel is looking at old albums from his couch bed, and Lucille comes along. Daniel's thumbing through his old Karate Kid 3 scrapbook, apparently. Oh, yeah. And now looking at pictures of what are ostensibly seen to be family photos. Yes. And they start reminiscing, and she talks about Coney Island. It's about the best day of my life. You know what I remember? Yeah, this is a chance for Randy Heller to get in with some real capital A acting. It wasn't the lights. It wasn't the, the, the ride. It, it was the smallest moment. As they talk about their old life back in New Jersey, I guess this would be pre-Karate Kid 1. Their old life in New Jersey, yeah. They're, but they're not just talking about that. They're just talking about this scrapbook seems to be in no discernible order because it's all over the place. We also see a picture of Daniel and Amanda at the grand opening of Luriso Auto in 2002. And that's where Lucille takes her opportunity to tell Daniel that she knows Amanda will come around. This scene is so good because we get to see the chemistry that has always existed between these two characters but got buried in Karate Kids 2 and 3. And at this moment, when they're talking about 
gestures and helping Amanda to come around. Daniel's saying that he's tried every grand gesture. And Lucille's like, Remember Coney Island? And this is where they talk about when they'd gone from Newark into the city to hang out at Coney Island with Daniel's dad before he died. It's a very sober talk because they're remembering that he was already getting sick, but they had a wonderful day together. And then Lucille drives home the fact that it's not the grand gestures that matter the most, it's the little gestures. She's telling a story about the line to the wonder wheel and how Daniel's dad, and she talks about how- He put his head on my shoulder, his hair on my cheek. That's all I ever wanted to know, that he was in it with me, no matter what. And it's just such a beautiful scene. The note I have here is that this is like the beachfront scene between Miyagi and Daniel in Karate Kid 2. Yes. It kind of speaks to you in that same way, doesn't it? It does. It's very similar to that beachfront scene in Karate Kid 2 where a person is telling a story about Daniel's father to comfort another person in, in pain and give them insight and helping them see the way of what they can do or how they can find peace in their situation. Ah, Randy Heller, one of the secret MVPs of the Miyagi-verse. Oh, definitely. Speaking of people who have not found peace with their situation, we're back over at Johnny's date night. Uh, he's really... <laughs> he's moved to the bar by himself. That's right. Having exhausted all his options, he decides to, after a few more banquets, I assume, to blind message Allie on, on Facebook. This is a very interesting choice. He's like, you know, saying a very simple message. Hey, it's been a long time, but I just signed up on the Facebook. And a random bump from a stranger turns this blind message into a very real message, although I don't think Johnny notices that he sent it. She bumps into him. Hey. Hard. Shit, sorry about that. And that causes Johnny to send the message. I mean, he does kind of dash it off by muttering, nah, too desperate. Indeed. But that doesn't matter because he accidentally sends it anyway. The person who bumps into him offers to make it up by buying him a banquet. So basically doing exactly what Johnny said a person should do to pick up a babe, except the babe is doing it to him. And speaking of babes, we head over to the a new location, the Cascade Roller Rink, where it is now 80s cosplay night. Uh, Robbie is dressed as either Crockett and or Tubbs from Miami Vice. Well, actually, he says he's Spader. But it's the same kind of like... He's a guy from the 80s. Linen jacket, 80s combo with a shirt open to his navel. Sam, meanwhile, is Molly Ringwald from Pretty in Pink and upskates Tori, who is also looking very 80s-y, kind of like Madonna, and Miguel rolls in dressed as Johnny Lawrence from a movie called The Karate Kid. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, he's wearing Johnny's actual red Cobra Kai jacket. He's about to introduce Sam and Robbie to Tori. I didn't know that you were here. But Tori and Sam obviously already have beef. Yeah, well, not all of us get to use Daddy's credit card. And so Miguel is like, oh, okay. And then we find out that Tori's in Cobra Kai. Yeah, Sam's getting the info dump on her brand new rival, Tori. With Sam and Robbie dressed like characters from a John Hughes movie, it actually turns out that it's Miguel that hasn't forgotten about Sam. He still wants her in his breakfast club. <laughs> Tori's willing to aggressively kiss Miguel just to put Sam in her place. And as they walk on by, as they walk away, we cut back to Johnny's date night where he and his new redhead friend bond over rockin' analog in a digital world. But also Knight Rider. Kit, where the hell are you? <laughs> Very funny. Well, yes, they're talking about how things used to be so simple. Oh, this nerd technology messes with your head. Like this, says the redhead who bumped into Johnny and then offered to buy him a banquet. They're sitting there scoring their drinks when Johnny overhears. Mate, I'm telling you, you should see the apartment. She lives with her mum. 
Graham, that is the Graham who's dating Carmen, talking about her like she's a piece of meat. The way I see it, she's good for a few bangs and then I'll drop her. To some other dude at the bar. As if we didn't have enough clues that Graham was not cool, we get it spelled out for us as he talks loudly to his jerk friend about being a jerk. Johnny is clearly in the information gathering phase of his Carmen defense plan. And while Johnny mulls that over, we cut back over to the Cascade roller rink where Sam and Robbie are having a not so great time and Robbie strikes up a conversation about it. Yeah, Robbie's trying to be zen and says, Well, remember what your dad says. There's good in everyone. She just has to be shown the right way. At this point, still coasting on the good feels he has, not yet coming to terms with the fact that things might be more serious than it seems. Meanwhile, If You Leave starts playing because Robbie might have said something to the DJ, which Sam tells us, That is such a ducky move. You're a ducky in skater clothing. (laughs) Very ducky move. These two John Hughes-o-fights. They're skating along and feeling better when all of a sudden Sam's skate breaks, so she has to head back over to the desk to get new skates. Uh, I'll be right back. And this gives Miguel a prime opportunity to start harassing Sam again. Well, I mean, at this point, he is actually trying to have a heart-to-heart with Sam, but Sam's like, I don't understand how you could be with a girl like her, right? It's like every time one of them has a genuine impulse to connect or apologize, the other one is not in a good place or is in a judgmental mode. And speaking of a judgmental mode, that's exactly when Tori spots Miguel talking to Sam. Miguel's like, You were having me think I'm a paranoid asshole and yet you're on a date with Robbie? Of course, now, in fairness, it's already been months since that happened, but Sam's like, It's not a date. And of course, this is a reference to back when Miguel and Sam actually went on a date and said it wasn't one. As Miguel walks away, dejected and disgusted with the state of their relationship, Sam picks up her skates. And back at the bar, Johnny is talking to the redheaded woman who still is super cool, but Johnny doesn't even care because now Graham is making out with the lady he catcalled before. This is the opportunity that Graham has to get up and go to the bathroom, but unfortunately the stall is conveniently out of order, so he has to go out into the back alley. But it also gives Johnny a chance to put his date on pause so that he can run out into the back and confront Graham. He goes without even getting that woman's number, so he completely failed to hook up with the woman who he had the most compatibility with, according to him. For that, we get this confrontation scene with Graham where Johnny's like, I heard what you said about Carmen. If you're going to do that, just break it up with her, all right? Johnny's clearly setting his priorities here. He'd much rather be working on his relationship with Carmen, even though Carmen's not aware of it. The guy says to Johnny, oh, so you're into her? Well, here's some advice. Bugger off. And he looks like he's going to try to rough Johnny up, but then Johnny kicks his ass, tells him he's lucky he's showing mercy. You're lucky I'm showing mercy. This is mercy. Of course, the guy can't believe that this is mercy. And Johnny tells him, never go near Carmen again. Do you understand? Of course, we have an opportunity for comedy where Graham says, I'll ghost her. And Johnny has no idea what that means. You what? I'll leave her alone. I'll disappear. And then Johnny says, mate, having kicked his ass and walks off into the sunset. Very, very reminiscent of mate. I feel like Mr. Miyagi has done that before, but I don't know. Anyway, back at the skating rink, Sam heads back to Robbie, and Robbie tells Sam that everyone thinks he's a guy named Dan Johnson. And just as the evening starts to slightly look up for Sam, here comes Tori again, shoving Sam to the ground. Well, I guess we should explain this. Tori's here for work. Yeah, this is Like, she works at the roller rink. So while... Sam and Robbie are having their date night. Miguel is just there. Tori's working, and during her working, she takes the opportunity to skate by Sam and knock her to the ground. At that moment... Of course, Miguel doesn't see that, right? No, Miguel doesn't see that. But Sam gets up and then sweeps Tori's skate. 
causing Tori to fall, and that's what Miguel sees. Ironically, it's Sam sweeping the leg now as she knocks Tori kettle over teapot to the ground, and spilling her food everywhere. So everyone at the skating rink has seen this, and Miguel is enraged. A kind of skating rink bouncer guy asks Tori if she's okay and throws Sam and Robbie out. You're out. She's the one who started You're out. So off they head. Meanwhile, Tori shoots Sam a look of utter satisfaction knowing that Sam is the one who looks like the jerk in all of this. And speaking of the jerk in all of this, we cut back to LaRusso Auto where Daniel approaches Amanda's office. Yeah, in a sequence written just for Brianna Davidson, Daniel comes up, knocks on the door, and greets Amanda who's working late. Daniel is wearing a tuxedo and he tells Sam, oh, Well, I want you to forget about that and I want you to remember something else. And is casting their memory back to their grand opening party 16 years ago, thus launching feverish analysis and the conclusion that since Amanda was pregnant in 2002, 16 years ago, 16 years ago, there is no way that Samantha is old enough to be driving the car that she now owns. Anyway, that's a story for another day. In the mm. time it took me to say that, Daniel and Amanda walked over to the backseat of one of the cars at LaRusso Auto. It's a little confusing because we cut from the office to the back of a car back in 2002, a flashback to that steamy night when they shared sparkling cider and had pregnant makeouts in the back of a luxury car, toasting to... To finally having something that's ours. But what about this little one? And their future. And so then we sneaky cut back to modern times with here's the facts both courtney hengler and ralph macchio are so ageless that this flashback sequence is very tricky unless you're watching very closely that's true they they would be ageless even with aging makeup in one direction or the other yeah exactly Amanda's like, so this was the grand plan, huh? Trip down memory lane? Even though she's still a little upset, talking about how that was a good night for the dealership, and Daniel's like, forget the dealership. And Daniel sets out to fully acknowledge that he has been MIA. I know I've been MIA the last few months. Leaving her to run everything. And he explains, part of it was Cobra Kai. Part of it was missing Mr. Miyagi. That's right, yeah. All this... Uh, Cobra Kai stuff has been has really dredged up a lot of stuff for Daniel and without Mr. Miyagi there he's been having trouble to find balance I mean obviously we want the news Daniel not the weather man there's so much good fanfic out there but I always wonder like if the big three could shoot an Amanda and Mr. Miyagi scene what they would show but anyway we have Daniel bringing the insights to this scene saying that but I also know if he was here right now he would tell me forget about karate focus on what's important and Daniel makes it clear that that is Amanda. And at that moment, we are now listening to another Peter Cetera song, and we pan out from the Mercedes on the floor in LaRusso Auto. Meanwhile, hovering above the city, we see Johnny heading home to Reseda Flats. Johnny comes home to a ghosted Carmen, and Johnny says forget about him johnny tells carmen you don't deserve a loser like that because she doesn't deserve a loser like that you deserve a guy at least shows up fair enough she deserves someone who would at least show up anybody be lucky to go on a date with you and she asks you asking me out and he says what if i am this is much more satisfying than that lebowski ass dream sequence don't you think it is it is much more satisfying And so after that admission and after Daniel and Amanda patching things up, I can almost hear Rodney Dangerfield from Caddyshack in my head going, Hey, 
everybody. We're all going to get late. And that is season two, episode eight, The Glory of Love. The Glory of Love. Wow, what an episode. Colin, tell me your thoughts about this episode. My thoughts about this episode. We are closing in on the finale of season two, and things are starting to pick up steam. I mean, really, it took a while for us to get here. I feel like we wanted Johnny and Carmen to get together for several episodes now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, Daniel has taken forever to come around to this admission that maybe, just possibly, he's been fucking things up and he needs to get his head back on straight. And this is the episode where we finally get it. It's kind of painful to watch our characters kind of fumble around, but it's very satisfying to watch them recover and get their shit back together even if just a little bit we know because we're at episode eight that things can't stay this positive for long there has to be some trouble in paradise but it's really something to see johnny come into his own by having told john crease to get lost by having made a mission statement as to what his cobra kai is and that i think feeds directly into his asking carmen out that's right Right. do what you want to do is what tommy told him and that's what he's doing But, you know, Daniel, it's another story because Daniel has to really dig deep into his own emotional motivations to understand. And if Lucille hadn't told Daniel the story about Coney Island, he might not have reflected about what he was really trying to do, which was reconnect with the fathers in his life by reopening Miyagi-Do. That's fair. And, I mean, I think there's still a lot of room to go here. I mean, Daniel really had to get in touch with his own insecurity in order to get to that place, right? And I don't know, I'm thinking also about the younger cast. And on one hand, it's a very predictable love triangle, but it's so, or love quadrangle. Mm -hmm. But it's so, is it isosceles? No, that would be a triangle. But it's so well done. Because I believe all these people, I believe their motivations. Even though I think Robbie can be a little like dreamy smarmy sometimes towards Sam. It's because he's playing a role trying Mm -hmm. to hold on to something that he wasn't really born into and hasn't fully secured, right? So I get that. The one, I think the hardest scene for me in this whole episode is the scene where they find that Medal of Honor because at that moment we know that Robbie has has chosen to lie. And now that that lie is out there, even though we'd reset after the last couple of episodes and things looked brighter, they won't necessarily all go well if we're still being dishonest at Miyagi-Do or Cobra Kai. Robbie is kind of falling back into old habits as his mentors kind of crawl out of them. The other thing that my mind turns to is Johnny and his development. He has finally got the beginning of a mission statement or an ethos for Cobra Kai and how his Cobra Kai is going to be different. One could say that this might be the ethos for the entire show, right? Because the whole show is about finding the balance the gray area the middle ground whatever you want to call it between aggression and pacifism where does defending yourself begin and bullying end and trying to sort that stuff out i think that's what this show is trying to get towards will it get there by the end we don't know but i think this is a big step in that direction from talking to the showrunners in the lead up to this season i remember them talking about how different philosophies reach different kids right and that sort of justified the dual focus on both miyagi do and cobra kai but at the same time that that is the setting for this we see that there are some very clear values that they're exploring and the limits of those values and how boundaries are important across philosophical differences 
And I think what we're leading toward is a sense that lying never goes well, that hiding from your own feelings is never good. And those are things that Miyagi-Do and Cobra Kai, whether you know it's Johnny's Cobra Kai, Daniel's Miyagi-Do, that they approach in different ways, but they're in a common struggle. I just think that right now, none of the principals are wise to just how grave the stakes of that struggle are with a man like John Kreese still out there somewhere. It's not like Johnny pushed crease into a volcano or anything like he just told him to get out and it didn't really feel final and i don't think it will be final uh you know we'll i'm sure we'll learn of crease's ultimate fate by the time this show ends uh and he was that clearly would be very interesting i think that crease has been cloning himself this whole time you don't say i think that he might be on a in a remote location somewhere that can only be reached by special transponder We'll need some sort of mm, wayfinder or something indeed. in order to get to him. Yes, indeed. I didn't think you'd get a Star Wars reference in, but you got one in right at the bell. I love it. I did my best. You don't yeah. have to sample a sound, but as long as everybody knows, <laughs> I still had it going on. Yeah, absolutely. Any other final thoughts? It makes it very hard for me to like Tori because she takes such satisfaction in Sam looking bad. And I know that doesn't make me less sympathetic towards Tori's real struggles, but I find it I find it hard not to see her as a villain, given how she is striking out, rather than not that she should be Christ-like and turn the other cheek. But I find it really hard to sympathize with her beyond I get that she's a kid who's been through stuff. It is tricky to write a character like Tori, I would think, from a writing perspective because and. From the way she's been written so far, Tori is treated as a pure antagonist. Like, in the parlance of uh, reality shows, she's not there to make friends, nor is she there to win over people like us. She's like, there to kick ass. She is there to kick ass. It's a credit to Peyton List that she kicks so much ass. It's true, and it is a hard row to hoe for any actor, especially someone like Peyton List, to be asked to come in and just be pure antagonistic and just draw that ire from the audience, you know? So mad respect to her for being able to pull that off. I mean, we've seen her be nice in other shows, so we know she's capable of it, but we're not going to get that out of Cobra Kai, I don't think. You know, I don't think we're going to get to see this in Cobra Kai, but Tori is really more of a foil for Robbie as far as personalities are concerned because both of them seek out healthy attachments, right? But they themselves continue to make certain mistakes or to fall back on these old habits that Miguel and Sam, for one reason or another, or another don't have. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I mentioned this briefly, I think, already, but I just want to reiterate how smart it was of the showrunners not to have Miguel go full Sith um, post the finale of season one. Like, it, they could have totally made Miguel... A full-on evil guy out who, for revenge yeah just just a mean alpha male and all this stuff but miguel is still himself like inside and in fact yeah he's been through some shit and in fact i would argue in this episode he's probably more himself than he has been in the whole first half of season two yeah i mean he's always sort of tended towards you know, loyalty to Johnny and not just loyalty, but like care and attention to what's going on. An inordinate amount of emotional honesty comes out of Miguel in a lot of his interactions with people. And sometimes it's read as purely 
selfless like it is with Johnny, and sometimes it's read as being a creep, as it is with Sam, but he is doing that same kind of emotional routine with everyone. And now that he's had this relationship with Tori, right, now that when we see him still trying to talk to Sam, we know a little bit more about the kind of person Miguel is, which is that he... You know, he's not necessarily interested in cheating, but he doesn't want an old relationship to end on bad terms. And he still cares a lot about Sam. Well, with that, I think we can wrap this one up. Once again, follow us on Twitter at Karate Kid Pod. You can check out our YouTube channel where we post all our new episodes plus special bonus features, uh, such as our live stream from the other day. Thanks, everybody, for coming out to the cooperative multi uh cobra kai podcast live stream event that was fun so we will be back very soon we hope with season two episode nine pulpo that's right we'll be back with season two episode nine pulpo pulpo until then i've been colin candidate and i am jenny carlson and we will see you around the miyagiverse see you around the miyagiverse This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Kennedy and Jenny Carlson. Our music is by Chepo. You can find us at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter. And wherever you download podcasts.